like Brother Julio. Well, uh, we've already prayed much, so I'm going to just go into my thoughts uh, for this morning, and, and we'll be brief, uh, but I think there are some important things here that God would have us to know, and that is, um, if you go back with me in your minds, uh, I think if you understand anything biblically, you know that uh, from the time that man was first created, God desired for there to be a communion with him. He is a God who is not just one who creates and as some would teach and believe that for centuries now throughout the lives of humanity that he threw it out there and, and just said, okay, hope you do well. Uh, but God, when he instituted his creation, he wanted to have a fellowship with us. And that sets him apart from every other not God in the world, if you understand the things of the Spirit. It was God's heart and mind to put into the mind of man the same desire to have a communion with his creator. That's why you're here this morning. Now, you may think that you've come because of just the festivities of the day or because somebody invited you to come, and that's all true. But the reality is God is seeking those who he created to have a communion with. And that's really why you're here this morning. You could have been anywhere else. And there are many other good places that are preaching and teaching the word of God and honoring him, but God chose you to be here today because he is seeking a communion with you. The Bible says that he seeks us. No man seeks after God. But it's God who loves us and wants to have that fellowship with us. And that's just seen throughout Scripture. You go all the way back to the beginning of man when Adam and Eve were first put in the garden. God created this beautiful place for them to have fellowship with him and have a oneness with him. And then even after they fell into sin and rebelled against God, it was God immediately who began to institute or reinstitute that broken relationship by providing clothing and, and providing all the necessary means that Adam and Eve would need in order to have what they needed in life. Why? Because God loved them. And even though they had broken fellowship with him by their disobedience, again, it was God who sought them and came after them. And you see how our minds are so easily lied to by Satan to make us think that God somehow doesn't care about us and God somehow causes the hurt and the pain in our life? No, that's a lie. The truth is our God loves us and he's instituted certain things for us to understand the communion that he wants for us. In fact, if you go on through the recorded history in the Old Testament, we know that God, through Moses, gave what was called the Passover. And some of you are with us on our Seder celebration, our Passover celebration just the other night. Uh, we weren't there. If you were there, you understand this. We weren't there to celebrate Passover. Uh, that was the time that God led the Hebrew people out of bondage after 430 years through a man named Moses to worship him on a mountain in a particular place because God was fulfilling his promises of creating a nation. And you saw that we weren't celebrating the Passover in that sense, but we were remembering what God had done in his kindness and his uh, love for his people to redeem them and to bring them into a place of peace back with him again. And then, as history goes on, we come centuries later when Jesus came onto the scene and his message was not a message of deliverance from earthly bondage like the Passover was, but his message was a message of a freedom of heart and soul where men and women can be free in their spirits to live openly with their God 
and, and enjoy the peace of heart that everyone looks for. If you pay attention to your own life and you just listen to the world and watch the world around you, every one of us seek peace in some way. We strive for peace. We long for peace. We hunger for peace. And we look for that peace in whatever way we can find it, whether through relationships or purchasing things or moving to new houses or buying new clothes or whatever it might be, we have this innate desire for peace. And it is our God who is saying to us, listen, in the midst of your brokenness, I am the God of peace. And I will give you that peace if you just surrender your heart to me. And one of the ways the Lord did that was by coming himself that was the way he began it all, this freedom from our, our sinfulness, which is why John could write in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. That's what the enemy wants. That's the goal of any enemy is to destroy life. So when you look at life and you look at your own life and you see the, the, the mess-ups and all the problems that are there, just understand that there's an enemy who hates you and he so desperately wants to destroy you, but our God is not that way, which is why John would write at the end of this, Jesus' words, I came that you might have life and that you would have life abundantly. That's our God, the one who loves us and wants to provide that for us. And it was all made effective by his personal sacrifice on the cross where he took the penalty that we owe to God in his death, and then came alive again on that resurrection day, proving that he even has the power to overcome death itself. Oh, we're going to die physically in this life, but God has promised to us, all who put their trust and hope in him will live eternally in the realm of heaven with him one day. And Jesus came to prove that. And so I hope you understand that this morning, and I'm talking about specifically Easter as well as every Sunday, and our church members know this, I'm kind of talking to those of you who are new with us this morning, that every Sunday really is a celebration of the resurrection, that God has liberated us spiritually, again, because we have put our trust in him, recognizing our inability to be all that he wants us to be because we know he is the one who has rescued us and has the ability to set us free. And so we can live this life knowing that we're not bound to the things of this world. As strange as that may sound, we don't have to be tied up in all of the problems and all the issues. Oh, we're going to suffer through them, but we don't have to be bound by them. And folks, I can tell you from years of counseling and, and listening to our counselors and our counseling ministry that that not our church's ministry, but they use the building here and just listening to the stories of people. So many people are bound up in the weight of life, maybe from their own decisions or whatever somebody has done to them or some situation in life. There is a bondage there that people are under the weight of and so desperately seeking to be free from. Well, that may not happen perfectly in this life, but Jesus has come to help us to know that when this life is over, that is certainly and will be a very real situation and possibility. And so my wife and I were talking to my cousin just the other night, and she made a wonderful statement. It's very simple, but it's really a wonderful statement. And that is, is that in this life, even though God wants it to be a life of joy and peace, we do make our problems. And, and God has his standard for the way he wants us to live. And this is often where people get mistaken about God in life. 
they look at the rules and the regulations and that's all they see. And so God does have a standard for us, but we wander away from that standard. But God is in the midst of always bringing us back in his grace and his mercy to live the life that he wants for us to live because he knows that's where we're going to find real peace and real joy. Now, with all that being said, one of the things, as I already started out with, is that God wants us, the bottom line is to know that we can have communion with him. We can have a fellowship with our God. And so this morning, I just want to talk briefly from the scripture about what holy communion is all about. And so Luke chapter 22, and for those of you who may be new with us, I like to ask our people to stand, and that's simply an honor of the word of the Lord. Uh, That's not a common thing in our world much today. Uh, But this, we believe, is the very Word of God, and so I'll just ask you to stand. Uh, You can see it on the screen behind us if you don't have your Bibles. And I just want to read the text here, and then I'll just make a few comments here, and we'll, we'll be done. When the hour had come, he, that's Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I say to you, I shall never eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, The cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Now, it's important to understand some of the context here, so just bear with me as we look at a couple of these things. In verse 14, notice was given to us that Jesus said, when the hour had come, and that's simply in the context of the time of the Passover, as I was mentioning earlier, Uh, but I want to submit to you that Jesus was also entering into the hour, the hour in which he came. In other words, the purpose for why he came to this earth in the first place. And more specifically, I'm talking about when he was instituting that true communion with God himself. All that to say, God is very purposeful in everything that he does. God is not a happenstance God. There's nothing that takes God by surprise. There's nothing that God is not able to overcome in his own way and his own purposes. Now, let me just add a little footnote here to that, and that is to say, and I don't want to squash anybody's hopes here, but there really is no such thing as luck. Okay, uh, Again, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. We all use the word, right? We were lucky. Boy, aren't we lucky. And I sometimes find myself saying, what exactly is luck? Is it this thing that just kind of floats around and it hits somebody and all of a sudden they're lucky? There is no such thing as luck. And, and truly, no believer, no follower of Christ should ever really use that in their vocabulary. And, and again, we do it all the time. And I just want to say again as a footnote, we shouldn't do that because God is very purposeful in everything that he does. We can trust him. We don't have to hope that we'll get lucky with God. And so I hope you hear that this morning. And just to make that clear, that being how God is in control of all things, the psalmist says in Psalm 37, the steps of a man are established by the Lord and he delights in his way. Proverbs 16.1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Hear what the Lord is saying here. Man will do his part, but God is in the midst of it, directing his heart and his life. 
Proverbs 16, 9, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 19, many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Proverbs 20, man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? Jeremiah 10, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. Romans 8, 28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Listen, I'm just simply supporting the fact from God's word that you're not here by accident. You may have gotten up this morning because somebody invited you to come and you're kind of thinking, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. I hope that wasn't the case. I hope you're here because you want to be here. But just understand, God is intimately involved with your life, even though you may not see him or even know him at this point. Now back to communion. To get the full picture of what Jesus is talking about, it kind of breaks down into several things. The first would be the setting. This would be Thursday night of the Passion Week. If you were here for us, with us on Thursday night or you're here the early service this morning, we know that the Passion Week is that last week before Jesus' crucifixion leading up to that. In the Hebrew understanding, it would be known as the eight days leading up to the celebration of Passover, which was that, represent, or that celebration of the remembrance of the Moses, or the leading them out of of bondage and the death angel passing over them so that they would not be destroyed under God's edict against Pharaoh. But for you and me, all of this is to put our hope in Christ. This is the event, communion is the event that marks the major turning point in redemptive history, in the plan of God's redeeming humanity, because it was in this upper room where Jesus would end the old covenant and institute a new covenant. And that new covenant was to help the people understand that this was to be, in Jesus' day, the last legitimate Passover celebration because Jesus was about to change everything. His life was going to radically transform the way you and I have a relationship with the Lord. In fact, Luke says, when the hour had come... Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I say to you, I shall never eat again or eat this again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is talking about is this is the last Passover, guys. This is the last time this is to be celebrated. And it's, it's, it's more than a reminder of just... God moving the Hebrews out of slavery and passing over them in that sense. But God was now saying that there is going to be a debt that is paid for you so that you can have your eternal redemption and what you really want, which is peace with your creator, the God who made you. And so Jesus is now saying, this is not a physical deliverance. This is a spiritual deliverance. You know, sometimes people think, well, if I become a Christian, then all my problems are going to go away. And those of us who are believers know that's just not true. God didn't come to set us free from the problems of this life, but he did come to set us free to be able to make it through the problems of this life, keeping our eyes and our hope on the things to come and not the things of this life. And and with this new covenant, then no person's going to be required to make physical sacrifices anymore. Aren't you glad for that? I mean, I'm kind of glad that we don't have an altar here anymore and blood everywhere. I mean, that's kind of gross. But it was what the Lord required and many other things. The Lord was saying there's never been 
the redemption of souls through the sacrifice of blood of, the, of bulls and goats. It has all been by faith, and God will accomplish the ultimate sacrifice through giving of his son. And so just understand, Passover and all that it represented is just no longer needed anymore. Because God has done something new. <clears throat> and so what that means for us, for you and me, this morning is, is that to partake in Passover, even in its current form, and I'm talking about how a Jewish person would do it, is to really openly reject Jesus as Messiah. Jesus is saying, that's not the way anymore. That's not what I'm looking for. For you and me then, as I've already said, is that Passover is a reminder of our God who would come and ultimately fulfill the sacrifice. And for the disciples hearing that, it must have been a huge relief as they heard these words literally from Jesus instituting this new covenant with them, the weight and the bondage of life and the burden of how to be right with God now was being lifted from them. And they were coming to the full understanding. And so that's kind of the setting. And then he gives the decree or the mandate, if you will, in verse 17 and verse 18. I'm not going to take the time to read that again. You have that hopefully in front of you or on the screen. And just understand in the, in the Passover celebration, this cup that Jesus is talking about is the first of four cups. Again, if you were with us on Thursday night, we went through all of this. I'm not going to take time to go through all of that. But just it was the way that the ceremony was started and it was called the cup of blessing. In that time where the head of the household would stand up and begin the celebration of Passover. And so they would have understood that. Luke only mentions two cups, just to be specific. But the point is, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to drink of this cup again until we are together in my kingdom. Emphasizing the final Passover is done and he is starting something new, which gets us to verse 19. When he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this. In remembrance of me. So as much as Jesus here is saying he was giving the standard of what communion is to be, he was in effect declaring, as we've already said, that the, the end of Judaism had come. Now that's not to be hard-hearted. I have family members that are Jewish. I remember preaching not long ago in one of the, uh, uh, the, the retirement homes in our community, and I was talking through some of this particular point that Judaism in its effects today and the way it is taken, uh, carried out is really no reason for it anymore. And a lady really got upset with me about that and she wouldn't come back to the service anymore. But the reality is we shouldn't hold on to something that God has done away with when he's instituted something new. That may be a little more technical than you're interested in this morning, but I, I'm trying to help you to understand that there are times where, no matter what it is, we get bogged down with something that we think is critically important when the Lord has come to get our hearts involved. And so we don't miss the point of whether it be some ceremony or some diet or some social gathering or some law. All of that was done away with. The priesthood, the temple, the holy place, all of that is gone. Because Jesus would again fulfill all of what that meant in its picture when he gave his life. Now after that, Jesus, we're told here in the verse, takes bread, he breaks it, he gives it to the disciples. And I want to explain this. And again, I hope this won't be offensive to anyone. It's just truth from God's word. 
This is not, as the Catholic Church has taught, a reference to Jesus' body literally becoming the body and the blood of Christ, or even vice versa, where the belief is during the Mass that the bread and the wine are changed literally, physically into the body and the blood of Christ. It's called transubstantiation. We won't have a quiz about that. Or even the Lutheran Church, where the church believes that the body and the blood of Jesus is present in and with and under the bread and the wine. In other words, they don't believe like the Catholics that the bread and the wine literally become the body and the blood of Christ, but they're there that the body and the blood are in addition to the wine and the bread. It's called consubstantiation. Okay, again, you won't have to remember that. The problems with those beliefs is it takes literally something that God only meant as symbolism. And it's important to understand this because it's, an, it's a wrong teaching that God has not instituted. It is, it is just as wrong to assume that Jesus becomes the body and the blood as much as he would become a door when he said, I am the door. Or I am the vine. Jesus doesn't become a vine. You see, you have to understand these things. It's all figurative, meaning the bread becomes a symbol of his body that was literally given to us in his blood. The juice becomes a symbol of his blood that was shed for us. Notice in verse 19, which is given for you. I think we could stop right there and just hinge on that, understanding that all that Christ has done, he's now saying, it's for you. Christ didn't go to the cross for himself. In fact, if you heard earlier, he tried to get out of it in his humanness. Now, he wasn't, but he tried to get out of it. But he understood the Father's will was for you. This was for you, meaning for us, not only the disciples, for every person who had put their trust in him. Just as Passover was shown for all people, the wrath of God and justice of God can't be by the death of any innocent party or animal. Jesus is the only person who can satisfy the wrath of God. Which is why Isaiah would write in Isaiah 53, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. Jesus stood in our place. Why do we celebrate on Sunday mornings? Why do we celebrate the resurrection? Why do we gather and do Bible studies and, and live the life of Christians? It's because of this. Because he paid our price. He set us free. Spiritually, Peter could say in 1 Peter, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. Paul could say to the church in Corinth, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you hear the love of God, beloved? Do you just hear the mercy of God, understanding that we are so unrighteous, we are so broken, we are so unholy, we're so bound up with all kinds of bondage, but it's him who came for us to set us free? Jesus continues in verse 20 by taking the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Echoing Moses' words in Exodus 24, 8, 
When Moses said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words, Jesus was now centuries later saying, Hey, look, as Moses prescribed from the Father, I have now come to fulfill. This cup is representing my blood that would be shed for you and will be shed for you. Another declaration of the forgiveness that God is willing to show anyone. Listen, anyone who will come to him. And I say that emphatically because I understand that there are many people who live life and they look at their life and the decisions that they've made and they say, there's no way that God could ever forgive me. Some people may have even been brought up in the church and said that they believe these things and lived the life of what was holiness in front of others and, and themselves and believed these truths, but maybe made some decisions that were not the best of decisions and they've been lied to by Satan by, and him saying, God will never take you back. Look what you've done, you wicked, dirty rat. But God is saying to us, listen, that's lies. I love you. I love you. I love you. Look what I did. I gave my son for you. That's how much I love you. Don't listen to those lies, beloved. Jesus specifically, again, back to the context here, talking about the juice and the wine, becomes the reminder of his life that was given. Remember Leviticus 17, Old Testament, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. That was Old Testament law. God was making that very clear. The soul of a man or woman is contained in the blood. Now, I don't understand all of that. Some of our medical people could probably explain that far better than I can. I'm just simply saying what God says here. It is through the shedding of blood, God would say in the Old Testament, that your, soul, your souls can be, must be atoned by. We do know medically that the blood carries the life-sustaining properties, Right? Not one of us is going to live without the blood in our bodies. To shed blood is certainly a representation of the shedding of life, which would be death. And so Jesus is instituting this great and wonderful new covenant, the only covenant that affirms that salvation is available to every person who simply trusts Jesus for who he is and what he did. Every person. I wish I could just scream it out. 20 years of ministry, longer here and longer, have heard people, person after person after person, just listen to the lies of saying, no, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, God will never accept me, he'll never accept me. That's lies, beloved, it's lies. Yes, are you broken? Yes. Are you wicked? Yes. Are you sinful? Yes. But the truth is, God is very good at taking all of that and remaking it. And he will do that. How do I know that? You know the verse. For God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave his only begotten son. Why? So whoever believes in him will not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world. But that the world might be saved through him. Listen to the, the mind of the Spirit and the love of the Spirit. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been already judged because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That belief is not a head belief. That belief is a heart belief. 
It's a love from the inner person that understands what God has done. Now, just simply closing this out, Jesus doesn't say specifically, but the Apostle Paul does, and we'll read this in just a second. This communion, this act of which we'll take part in just a second, is to be done as often as we decide to do it, as a memorial to remember what Jesus has done for us. No set pattern, no set time. Every Sunday could be done every day. doesn't matter. God just wants us to remember it is one of the two ordinances given to the church, baptism and communion. Baptism reflects the acceptance of Christ into our heart and what we've done. It's a picture showing the world that we have trusted Christ. Communion represents this new covenant of God that says, hey, there's no laws for you to fulfill. There's no things you have to do. There's no works that you can accomplish. I just simply want you to surrender your heart to me and trust me. And so what we're going to do right now in the balance of our time together is that we're going to have a time of communion. And Jesus doesn't mention this either, but again, Paul does. It was also assumed that communion was to be a regular reminder of the danger of rejecting God. It's a very serious, very solemn time. In fact, the Apostle Paul, we'll see in a second, will help the church in Corinth to understand that there are people who have literally lost their lives by God taking their lives because they violated the holiness of what communion is all about. Not the act and the ritual, but that they flippantly and carelessly took part in it, not really caring about its meaning. I'm not God, and I can't say that God's going to strike somebody dead. I'm not trying to put fear in your heart. I'm simply saying what God did at one point. And he's telling us that this is a very serious and solemn time. Why? Because of all the things that we've just said. That this is not about whether you're going to get the next job or you're going to find the next best thing or have the next best whatever. No, this is about your place in eternity. That's what this is about. This is about your, your soul and where your soul is going to spend eternity in your acceptance or rejection of who God is. It's not the symbol. It's the heart that God is talking to. Because he knows that when we acknowledge our sin, and not just a head knowledge, but we truly repent of it, we say, Father, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for violating your holiness. And there's not one honest soul, and listen to what I'm saying, I'm putting this word purposefully there, there's not one honest soul that would say, I don't violate the, the holiness of God. If you're honest, if you're honest, and I don't care who you are, if you're honest, you will acknowledge that you have violated the holiness of God. You know why? Because God has built that into you. When he created you, he made you intuitively aware that you know when you've done something that is not right with God. And God says, that's all of us, which is why it was so necessary for him to send his son to pay the redemption price for us. Paul, in fact, would say, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, everybody. Nobody is immune to this. Ezekiel said in 18, the person who sins will die. That becomes amazingly obvious. Every time I conduct a funeral, I'm reminded of the body that's laying there as the picture of this truth. God says every 
person who sins will die. Guess who that is? We're not going to miss that, are we? God proves it in even our funeral services. And what he wants from us is to understand that we are in constant need of forgiveness. Hear me carefully. Not in constant need of salvation. That's a one-time thing. When we trust him as our Lord and Savior, we are gloriously saved for eternity. But we need to live a life of repentance. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things that I say and do, whatever it might be, big or small. We're to constantly be looking at our hearts and accepting the fact of all of this. And often we live in a life of unbelief. We all do. Every moment that we deny him in some way, small or large, is a life of unbelief. Not purposeful, but we just fall into that. And so it goes on and on. We just simply violate who he is. And to live in such a way, flippantly, carelessly, denies the very reason and purpose for why Jesus came. To set us free. And so God wants and even demands that before we say we are in communion with him, that we examine our hearts. That we take time just a few moments throughout our lives and specifically in a time like this in a service where we look inwardly and we just simply talk to the Lord and we ask a question like this, Lord, would you show me the areas of my life that are not right? Would you open to me the areas of my mind that are straying from you and following my own way and denying you perhaps? Would you bring me back into the right fellowship with you? I'm telling you, beloved, with a heart like that, God will graciously and gloriously bring you back into the fold. Maybe for the first time, God will bring you in. It's the same heart. And so this is the time to think about all of that for the purpose of what we're talking about here. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and take a few moments just quietly, Madeline's going to come and play this beautiful instrument up here. And she's just going to play softly. This is not normal for us in the sense of normal. We certainly go through communion every month, but what better time than Easter Resurrection Celebration Sunday than for each of us to just bow our hearts in a moment of silence and just do some business with God. He longs for this. He made you for communion with him. And he's reaching out to you. And all he wants you to do is respond back. It doesn't have to be anything monumental. It doesn't have to be through any kind of specific words or profound words, but just simply saying, Lord, I know I need you. Come into my life and set me free. So take just a moment and talk to the Lord.
here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This is different. I'm going to ask you if you're serious about your desire for the Lord to have communion with you and you want communion with Him. And I'm going to ask you individually as you're ready. We're not going to go by row by row unless you need to ask somebody to get out of the way. I'm going to ask you to come to one of the tables here and both have a different kind of setup. Uh, For those of you that feel comfortable and we're just trying to be sensitive to you, you're welcome to take the cracker, take one of those, take a couple juice underneath the containers there and the men will help you with that. Go back to your seat with both of them. If you would rather, there's another container there that has both the bread and the juice on it. Biagio, if you'll hold that up, yep. You can take that. It has bread on the bottom, juice on the top. Just be careful you don't spill it on yourself if you prefer that. But as you feel the Spirit leading you, come forward. If you're not physically able to come forward, then the men will take something to you, okay? They'll bring one of these little cups to you. So as Madeline plays, you just decide. Spend a couple minutes and you just come on. As the Lord leads, you just come and take part. And maybe you're just asking for a fresh start. Maybe you're asking the Lord to just give you a new life and a new perspective on life. Maybe you're asking him to heal something. Maybe you're just needing him to be in you and you in him. Whatever the need is, you just come, okay? Just get up and come as the Lord leads you. And we'll wait for you. take part in communion and you're just not able, just raise your hand so the men can see you, okay? Keep your hand up high if you desire to do so, all while examining your heart. And I would even submit to you that if you just feel like you need to pray and submit more of your heart to God, then don't come. Don't come. You do as the Lord leads you. back to their seat, we'll finish the service with the time of taking the bread and the drink. Pray in all of this, you'll just have a heart of seeking God. Just kind of see Him opening His arms to you, welcoming you, longing for you to come like a parent after a wayward child that's come home. 
This is the symbolic reminder. Communion is the symbolic reminder of what Christ has done for us. Some may ask, why do I call you publicly? Jesus was very clear that those who will not acknowledge me before men, I will not acknowledge before my Father. He was not trying to institute fear or control. He just simply was saying, if you're ashamed of me and what I've done for you, I cannot acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. The good news is, is that God is always ready to forgive and he's always willing to receive any heart that will do whatever. You could be driving down the road in your car. You can be sitting in your office desk. You can be walking, whatever you're doing, and God will hear your heart. It doesn't have to be in a service like this. God is everywhere. And God knows. You know that the Bible says that God even knows our thoughts before we think them? He knows. And he's longing for us to come to him. So let's close with this. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, and that's that ritualistic, kind of indifferent, unrepentant spirit of bitterness that really has no desire for the truth. If you come that way, you shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. In other words, you make my son a mockery because you think so little of what he's done. So Paul says, a man must examine himself, and so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. When we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. What Paul is simply saying there is that, look, when we're honest with ourselves... God is like that tender, loving, gracious person in our lives who will receive us back when we acknowledge the areas of wrongfulness in ourselves. And so in verse 23, he says, I received from the Lord, which I took, which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And we just read that from the gospel. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of of me and so I would ask you now to take part in that cracker as an honor from your heart to the Lord believing in who he is and what he has done as he gave his body for you in such a horrific and horrible way Paul then says the cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So take part in that little juice cup if that's your heart's desire to follow the Lord. I love this last part in verse 26. And we'll say this and then we'll close in prayer. And that is, notice this, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do you know what communion also is? It's a way to show the world that you are a follower of Jesus. I believe him. I live my life for him. I trust him. And when the world watches you follow him, the world will want to know about your God because they'll see him in you.
and God will do a great work in them as well. Father, we thank you for this glorious day. Lord, there is just something so special about this particular day of the year where we celebrate your resurrection. Again, for those of us who meet every week, it is a celebration every Sunday because we know of these truths. Lord, we're so thankful for those that you've brought our way today. We thank you for our regular family members, our Hispanic family. Lord, we thank you for those that have come because someone invited them for whatever reason. We thank you that all that you do is purposeful. And Lord, mostly we thank you that you are not the God that the world proclaims and you're not the God that Satan lies to us about. But your Bible tells us that you are a God who comes to make communion with those who are broken and lost. So thank you for the honest hearts here today. Thank you for touching people as you have. Thank you that you know every detail of every person's life and there's nothing hidden from you. Thank you that you are the healing God and the only one who can do so. And so we glorify you, we celebrate you, we honor you, and we pray that your name has been lifted up today. And we ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Lord's blessings to you. Thank you so much for coming. It's been a blessing to be with you today.